born of our struggle, singing every good thing is born of our struggle. Every truly good thing is born of our struggle, my child. Every good thing is born of our struggle, singing every good thing is born of our struggle. Every truly good thing is born of our struggle, my child, my child. And I wouldn't leave you in this heartache if it was all for nothing. Wouldn't leave you in this struggle if I didn't see something being born in you. So beautiful and so true, like a statue of David chiseled away and never faded. There's a new child rising, new life shining in your face and your pain and your everything. If you only knew, child, what I see in you, child, I think you wanted to. But I'm proud of you, child, as you struggle through. Yes, I'm proud of you, child, as you struggle through. Remember, every good thing is born of a struggle. Singing every good thing is born of a struggle. Every truly good thing is born of a struggle, my child. Sing with me now. You know, had I been exposed to a cool monk like that, I think I might have ended up a monk. I don't know. I don't know. I'll miss that song. Uh, just to see if I've made any dent in this series of messages, how many believe that every good thing is born of a struggle i so hope you're you're incorporating that reminding yourself of that in uh, daily life it ends this notion that when we encounter a struggle that something abnormal is happening something that jolts us something that maybe even causes us to say god what are you doing instead we know no no this is part of our journey down here there was about 11.6 billion dollars spent in the self-improvement industry last year it's on par to do the same thing this year now you say 11.6 billion dollars what does that mean it doesn't mean much to me either frankly but let me give you a little diagram that'll help if you stood a dollar bill up the way i'm standing up and you put another one against it and another one against it another one against it 11.6 billion dollars would go from frederick county maryland all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida, 745 miles of dollar bills standing up. That's how much 11.6 billion is. That's how much Americans, it's about 287, or 287 million adults in America, it's 330 million altogether. But adults are the primary ones that are involved in the self-improvement world. So this is books and this is CDs and this is seminars and stuff like that. Just curious, how many here have ever bought a self-improvement book of any kind at all or went to a seminar or listened to some CDs or some podcasts? Just, just curious to you here. Okay. So we seem to be quite driven as human beings to improve. In fact, we don't have a self-worsening industry. I don't think you get many tickets sold for the self-worsening, you know, seminar. Um, but we seem to be driven for some reason to make self-improvement. I, I want to just suggest that this is something that's written inside of us as image-bearing beings. Because God made us, let me rephrase it, because Christ made us for himself and we are made in his image, this drive to grow, to develop, to self-improve it's a part of our spiritual dna now i want to take you back and uh, I, I want to remind refresh some of you with with what is god's overarching plan for everything in other words before anything was before god created any intelligent beings whatsoever any image-bearing beings 
what was his plan in other words we we tend to sometimes get confused in church world where we think that god is just kind of in the transportation business that his main goal is just to make sure that we get from this earth into heaven you know he just he wants us to recite some kind of formula some kind of belief system about jesus that jesus lived died and rose again and if we recite that that he can then legally transport us from earth to heaven and, and that's just not what scripture teaches I mean, Scripture teaches that God is, is primarily in the transformation business, not transportation business. Yes, He transports to heaven those that in this life become reconciled to God, those that truly put their trust in Christ and become His followers. Yes, they are not fit for anywhere else except for heaven. They are guaranteed of being transported. And yes, the Scripture uses terminology like, when I, you, we, put our trust in Christ, the millisecond we put our trust in Christ and become his follower, we are forgiven all of our sins. We are given the free gift of everlasting life. We are guaranteed of eternity in God's heaven. That is all true. But God's real intention behind this is something more vast. And when you know the big picture, it allows you to make sense of the pieces. How many, how many have ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Let me see your hands. Okay, so we're all boring people. We've acknowledged that. <laughs> How many peeked at the cover before you even attempted to do that jigsaw puzzle? Oh, yeah. If you get one of those big puzzles, 500 pieces or more, and you don't look at the cover, oh, you'll, you'll probably end up uh, in an asylum somewhere just trying to put the thing together. Once you see the picture, this is important, the pieces start to make so much more sense. Likewise, once we know God's big picture, his plan from eternity past to eternity future, what is it that God's trying to achieve by creating angelic civilizations and human civilizations? What is his goal? What is his plan? Once we know the big picture, then the pieces really fall into place and make a great deal more sense. So here it is. Here's, here's the big picture. God's big plan is the development of an eternal family of Christ-like beings. Notice, angelic and human but christ-like in character in conduct development of an eternal family of christ-like beings united in loving devotion to christ he will be the king of kings forever and ever and devotion to one another that is his plan it, it is this extraordinary family that lives forever and ever you know why because it can it can't, it's only when we are completely trusting in Christ our creator, loving him, loving one another, that we can survive forever. Unless we, unless we have this Christ-like character in ourselves, eternal existence is an impossibility. We'll just have the same kind of destructive cycles we have today. So this is God's big overarching plan. Now let me show you a few verses that are just quickly supportive of this. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, God knew from the beginning, this is before anything was created, he knew from the beginning who would put their what? Their trust in him. Faith in Christ, trust in Christ. So in other words, God's looking down before he's created angelic civilizations or humans, and he knew some would put their trust in Christ, be reconciled to God, be united with him, and he knew that some would not. For those that he foresaw would be reachable, 
he goes on to do this. He says, so he chose them. We become his chosen. When you put your trust in Christ, you become a part of the chosen ones. The chosen ones are the ones that God knew would be reachable and teachable. He would put their trust in him, so he chose them and made them to be like his son. Now, the way this says this in other versions, it says that those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed or transformed, metamorphosis is a Greek word, into the likeness of Christ. But it's saying that this was his plan all along to have this, this family of Christ-like beings who loved Christ and loved one another for all eternity. And, of course, there's all kind of creative stuff that God's going to lead us into. Let me show you one more verse. Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus, he says, our goal, our goal is to become like a full-grown man. Let's just call it full-grown human. But, but what does a full-grown human look like? How, how do you measure maturity? To look just like, you tell me, Christ. When, when I'm all grown up, and I'm still waiting for a growth spurt. How many of you know you're waiting? I need a growth spurt. <laughs> you know, you go to that door and you measure when you're a kid. Man, that thing never happened for me. I'm still waiting. <laughs> But when we are all grown up, we are going to look just like Christ. That's what maturity, that's what human maturity is. That's what emotional maturity is, mental maturity, relational maturity, moral maturity, character maturity. We become just like Christ. Now, we still have our unique identity, but it's, it's a Christ-like version of ourselves. And have all his what? All his perfection. So this is why we are driven to development, to improvement. It, it, it's a part of our spiritual DNA that God has planted in us. And I want to share with you the rest of this message now. There, there's two primary methods that God has in this age. He starts in this age, in this life. He wants us to step onto this path of development, this path of becoming the Christ-like person that we were meant to become. Now, remember what I said. It starts with putting our trust in Christ and becoming his follower. And when we do that, he forgives our sins. He gives us everlasting life. But then he starts to work in us to help us become who we were always meant to become and do what we were always meant to do. That's part of this developmental journey and there's two primary methods that he has now now one it's voluntary uh, well actually I'm going to share one more scripture with you thank you back there you're smarter than I am for sure um, this gets into something that that I'm hoping will be a little bit motivational for some of you because I, I have heard through the years some Christians talk and they'll say things like well you know why struggle why struggle to grow and develop in this life because when you die or Jesus returns, he's just going to zap you and you're going to be perfected all at once, okay? And they, so they're like, why should I struggle? Why should I try to grow? Why should I try to develop? I mean, I'm just going to wait until I'm zapped because it's going to happen anyway. I'm hoping to motivate anybody that might be kind of in that frame of mind to see that there might just be a more important a more immediately important reason to pursue with all of our might uh, spiritual development, Christ-like character development. So Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, or near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. Probably most of you are familiar with it. Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. Not development, but destruction. Now mind you, let's look at this gate a little bit. He goes on to say many are those who enter through it. So it's wide, it's easy, 
and it's popular. If you follow, Jesus is saying, if you follow the majority of people, far from being safe, the majority of people are on a path that leads to destruction. Most of us can tell our own stories of that. We did some stuff. We experimented with some stuff. We tried some stuff. It was fun at first, but then as time went on, we found that consequences resulted. It hurt us. It hurt others around us. Maybe it's still doing damage to us. We still have some habits that we started earlier in life, and we can't shake them to save our lives. And so Jesus is saying this, this broad way, it's wide, it's easy. You just do whatever you want. You just follow the crown. You blend right in. But it's not leading to the right place. It's leading to consequences instead of results. It's, it's leading to destruction. He goes on to talk about another way how narrow is the gate and how what's that word difficult struggling struggling how narrow and how difficult is the way that leads to what does it say to life and there are how many who find it few now what does jesus mean by life this is where we we miss out i used a phrase last week and i'm going to probably use it forever now and, and it's and it's this if we can go ahead and put that up best life possible Jesus said in John 10 10 he said that that he came so that we might have life and have it to the fullest or various versions say in abundance it's the best life possible Jesus is saying the narrow way the difficult way of living the way that requires struggle struggle that leads to development instead of deterioration and destruction he's saying that is the way of the best life possible there's not a person in this room not one let me go further there's not a person that's ever lived in human history ever anywhere geographically anywhere in time there's no human being that hasn't desired on some level the best life possible we tend to seek the best life possible until our very last breath now here's where i want to try to motivate some of you that haven't thought seriously about the value of spiritual development spiritual growth you do want the best life possible and jesus is saying this is how you get it it's the narrow road it's the difficult path it is the path of spiritual character development that leads to the best life possible but yes it does require struggle so that's where i want to now unpack this i want to show you two different types of struggle that you and i have to embrace if we're going to cooperate with God and experience best life possible in this life as well as a wonderful eternal life to come, we have to enter into this process cooperatively with our Creator. And the first part about it is we have, to struggle, we have some voluntary struggles. There are struggles that we have to voluntarily go through. There's a second part, and I'm going to call them involuntary struggles. We, we don't do anything to bring these things in our life the truth of the matter is we do everything we can to avoid these things but they come anyway but they both offer development opportunities let's look at the first one eagerly embrace voluntary struggles is the key to this narrow way that leads to life which is developmental pathway a couple verses in john 8 jesus says this he said he said to those judeans who had believed him if you continue to follow my teaching you are really my disciples now, now there's a lot there this is something we have to this is a struggle we must embrace voluntarily i must 
learn what it is that Jesus teaches about God and what it is that he teaches about life. We have this contained in the scripture, the Bible, the most incredible book on this planet. God has given us, like no other generation, access to this particular wonderful book. He's given us multitudes of teachers and commentaries and study guides and all kinds of things. But Jesus is saying that unless I voluntarily struggle to learn the word of God, the will of God, and stick to it, follow it, submit my life to it, let it mold my life. When Jesus says, stop doing it, I stop it. When Jesus says, start doing this or learn this, I do it. Unless I continue, we're talking lifelong here. If you continue to follow my teaching, you're really my disciples. And of course, the result is you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, scriptural freedom is so different than our ideas of freedom. Freedom is when a train is, is, is on its tracks. If a train stays on its tracks, it can go far and fast, right? But our idea of freedom, freedom is, I'm not staying on these tracks. I'm going off my own way. But you lose freedom. When we knowingly or unknowingly live contrary to the way that God has designed us, we don't gain freedom. We lose freedom. Jesus says, you stay submitted to my teaching. You're going to find that it frees you up. It gives you everything you've been looking for, the best life possible, even in this tough, difficult world that is permeated by evil. But this is a voluntary struggle. I must become a student of God's word, a serious student. Most of us, we don't like learning new stuff. But some things are worth every effort. Let's go on. Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Ephesus. <laughs> I like this one because he says, so get rid of your old self. The old self is whoever it was we were when we were following ourselves, doing things our way, experimenting with life. You know, we didn't care much about who God is, what he says, what his will is. If he's there, we didn't really much care about it. So we developed ideas and habits and patterns and, and value systems and all kinds of things that brings this composite old self. So Paul says to these followers of Jesus in Ephesus, he says, man, you, you got you to gotta assess who you've developed into, what kind of thought patterns, what kind of defense mechanisms, what kind of false value systems, what kind of bad habits, and you've got to recognize those things, and then you've got to get rid of them. How many of you in the past, oh, I don't know, week have taken out the trash? Can I see your hands? Why didn't you just pray? <laughs> oh, Father, let the trash be gone. You didn't pray because you know it wouldn't be answered. The trash would pile up. <laughs> God has certain methodologies. Yes, pray for the right things. But there's certain things God says, you've got the power to do this, and I want you to grow by doing it. So he says, take out the trash. Get rid of your old self. He wouldn't tell me to get rid of my old self if I didn't have the power to get rid of my old self. We all have the power, God-given power, to get rid of our old self, but it is our responsibility to get rid of our old self. So he says, get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to, the old self that was being destroyed. Remember the path that leads to destruction Jesus talked about? Being destroyed by what? It's deceitful desires. I bet you we can all remember some deceitful desire. We desired something and we chased it. And some of us even got what we wanted. And then we woke up one day and said, man, I don't want what I got. Right? Right? They were deceitful desires. We, we thought they were going to bring us best life possible, but they did not bring us best life possible. They were slowly eroding everything that matters about us and about uh, human character. So 
your hearts and minds must be completely made new. We need to have our minds saturated with Scripture, view life as God views life, think like he thinks, feels like he feels will cause us to do what he does. It goes on. And you must put on the new self. Notice who's going to put it on? I must put it on. You must put it on. We're not going to develop. We're not going to grow unless we get rid of our old self. I have to take action. I have to assess every manifestation of my old self and then I have to want to I have to practice I have to intentionally put on the new self well what's this new self like which is created in God's likeness and reveals itself in the true life here it is best life possible again in this life that is upright and holy the best possible life even in this sinful difficult world is a Christ-like holy life a righteous life Jesus said, you'll know the truth if you continue in my word, and the truth is set free. It's, it's not until we get there that we find that to be true. So I've got to put off my old self and put on the new self. I'm just curious. This is a safer enough question, or at least it should be. How many of you are not, you're not in the same, the same clothing that you went to sleep in last night? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So you got rid of, as it were, your old clothes from last night and you put on some new clothes you took action these are voluntary struggles that we must take or we won't grow just sitting in church has about as much chance of you developing to be Christ-like as me sitting in a doghouse transforming me into a dog okay it's not the way it works God wants us to cooperate in this developmental process let me go on 2 Corinthians 7 1 if you would read chapter 6 he's talking about how God wants to father us and wants us to function in this world as his children you know they just love their dad and just want to live out his life before a watching world anyway it then continues this therefore since we have these promises dear friends let us what does it say oh father I just want you to cleanse me please I can't do I can't fix this I can't get rid of it oh cleanse me cleanse me what does God say? Cleanse what? Ourselves. I won't ask this one. I, okay, I'll ask it in this regard. In the past week, in the past week, has, that, has everybody here taken something? Bath, shower, something. Can I just see your hands? Wow, glad, 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 good. And there's different ways of taking a shower. You can just stand in the shower and you can just let the water hit you. And that's better than nothing. <laughs> but most of us, we get in the shower, we get active. You know, we scrub a dub dub, you know, and we get that washcloth. And how many of you do the back, the back thing? You know, you got to scrub every part of your back. And so cleansing ourselves spiritually calls for action. God wants us to develop to develop by doing we all know this on a physical level you don't get stronger by resting more you get stronger by doing more we know this so it is spiritually speaking he says cleanse yourselves now he's talking about all those uh, habits attitudes um, you know kind of protection mechanisms all kinds of things that we have that are that are countering the Christ-like development that God wants us to have we can cleanse ourselves. those it's an awful lot like the other one rid yourself cleanse yourself says dear friends from everything that could defile the body and the spirit body soul spirit they all work together they're all really important to take care of 
um, thus accomplish holiness out of reverence for God. So these are voluntary struggles. Voluntary struggles. Jesus says, continue my word, continue my teaching. Paul says, you've got to get rid of your old self. You've got to put on a new self, a new Christ-like self. Paul, again, to the followers of Christ in Corinth, he says, you've got to clean up the act, and you can. You can clean it up. How many would just acknowledge? I'm, 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 I'm just going to bait you for this one. How many have said at one time in your life, there's some habit, I just, I just can't get rid of that. It's, I must have just been born that way or something. I just can't get rid of it. How many have ever said that? I baited you. See, I... I I know better, so I can't say that. Uh, you may feel that way. All of us probably do at some point. But it's not true. It's absolutely not true. We can, by God's grace, cleanse ourselves. There is no habit that you cannot, by God's grace, He tells us to do what He tells us to do. He empowers us to do. He just waits for us to do it. So there's voluntary part of this whole growth developmental cycle. Now there's an involuntary part. Let me go to that. Faithfully, if we want to continue with God's developmental program, we have to faithfully react. When it comes to the voluntary, we, we need to just cooperate and do some things. But now we need to faithfully react to involuntary struggles. What do you mean, Randy, involuntary struggles? In other words, there are certain things that just happen to us in life. We don't even want them to happen. In fact, we spend most of our life trying to avoid them from happening. We try to create a life that avoids certain uh, uncomfortable situations from occurring the best that we can. We try to live safely and securely, but they happen anyway. So how do we react? How do we react when the thing we did not want we didn't want it to happen. We didn't want to experience it. How do we react when it happens? That's part of spiritual development. If we react the way that God wants us to, the way he teaches in his word, we grow exponentially. These are literally growth opportunities. The voluntary ones, that's sort of a slow grind. These situations are so dynamic. They are so intense they allow us an opportunity to take large steps forward in growth, but they are very tense. They are very, frankly, unpleasant. So faithfully react to involuntary struggles. Let's look at what I'm talking about. James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, what does it say? Trials of many kinds. All kinds of different trials. We, we've seen this verse many times. So he says, consider it joy. He's saying there is a tremendous developmental opportunity when these intense, undesirable situations land in our lap, is what he's saying. He goes on to express it more clearly. Because, why should we have joy in the face of many trials? Because you know that the testing of your faith, these situations test us. Am I going to stay faithful to God and his word? Am I going to handle this God's way or am I going to handle it uh, some other escape-oriented way that I may concoct that usually involves sin of some sort? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, meaning that, okay, I'm staying true to God's word no matter what's going on, no matter how I'm hit. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm not going to do what he tells me not to do. I'm persevering. I'm, I'm holding my ground. Your Faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, where we have it again, what? Mature. We read earlier, what is mature? Just like Christ. 
So these are dynamic situations when these trials of many kinds hit us. If we stay faithful to God during the trials, they actually allow for almost exponential growth in character development. And many of you in here, you know exactly what what that scripture is teaching there. So it's the way we react in involuntary struggles. We didn't want this struggle. We've run from this struggle, but it hits us anyway. Now are we going to be faithful to God in the struggle? that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Let's look at another. Paul writing to followers of Christ in Ephesus, he says, look, he says, you may think that it's, it's the Roman Empire. You may think it's your Jewish brethren that are chasing you down. You, you may think it's ideologies and, and philosophies that are your problem. But he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, human concoctions, in other words, but against the rulers. Who are these rulers? Against the authorities. What authorities? Against the powers of this dark world. I still don't know who you're talking about, Paul. Against the spiritual forces of evil where? He's talking about angelic races and civilizations. We were attacked as a species by an angel named Lucifer. He sought to break our trust in our creator, and he did so successfully. He slandered our creator, and we as a race, as a species, we went for it, and it took the very sacrifice of Christ on the cross to destroy that slander of Satan and show that God is good. He's the safest person in the universe and worthy of all of our trust. But we live in a world that is permeated by evil, evil ideas, evil forces, evil activity. And we are called as Christ followers to not be silenced in such a world. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about continuing, no matter what, to reach the reachable and to teach the teachable. To tell people the truth about God, the truth about life in a society that is living for the most part against God who would like us to shut up and go away. And he's saying, you have to understand, you may see people, it's people that you see that are your problem. It's not really people, it's, it's these other angelic hierarchies that are flooding the human race with ideas that human beings live out. But he's saying, you've got to be ready to stand your ground. These things are not going to go away. So this is an involuntary struggle. How many of you would agree, I get a little scared, I get a little tense when I'm finally going to make the move. I'm going going to open my mouth and I'm either going to invite somebody to church or I'm going to let them know how important Christ is to me or I am going to overtly talk to them about Christ. I'm going to try to show them that Christ is worthy of their trust and I am going to actually try to persuade them to become a follower of Christ. I'm going to enter into one of those kind of conversations. How many of you, before you make one of those invites or you have one of those conversations, truth be told, man, you feel, you feel a little bit uptight inside. Can I see your hands? Yeah, most of us probably. Me too. Why is that? It's because we know, we sense that the things we're about to say, they go against the grain. They're, they may be looked upon as, as foolishness. They, they may be today looked upon as being evil. We're living in this time in human history where evil is being called good and good is being called evil. So this is a, a battle. It's a struggle that we're called to do. Our struggle, Paul says, it's against these angelic entities that are working through societal structures and philosophies and ideologies but we're to not be silent. We are not, we're to refuse to be silent. Refuse to stop reaching the reachable and teaching the teachable. One more struggle. This is intense. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. 
Paul says, we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. He's talking about some things that happened when he was in Ephesus uh, that must have been so intense. You'll, you'll see how he describes it. We were under great pressure. Most of us in here know what pressure, what stress is like. Perhaps this past week you felt under great pressure, endured great stress of some sort. He says, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability, what does it say? To endure now most of us have probably visited this place we didn't want to go there we've experienced this struggle though to some degree perhaps some of us have not the likelihood is if you have not you will and, and let me try to make it really clear what it's saying Paul is saying I was I was at the end of myself I was at the place where I just felt like I'm done man I am absolutely done I cannot take not not even this much more I am finished I can't endure this in fact he goes on to say I, I think I'd just as soon be dead maybe maybe it's just my time to die because I can't handle anymore I I have nothing left I am out of gas out of fuel how many can identify with what I'm saying you've been there it's a real rough place to go and listen to what he says after this we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability. I can't take anymore. It's beyond my ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Listen. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul said, I, it got so bad. I just thought, maybe it's my time to die. Maybe God's calling me out of this place. But this, you got to get this. This is, this is the key. But this happened. This happened that we might not rely on who? Ourselves but on who God. God who does what raises the dead wait a minute wait a minute you're saying that part of my development is that God will allow me to get to a place where I feel like I'm going to just die I, I, I am so beaten down I'm so broken I'm so without any energy left that, that I'm thinking I might just be easier to die than to live you mean to tell me God will allow me to go to a place like that so that I can learn to rely on him instead of myself yes that's part of a loving father's developmental plan for his children can you accept that because some of you might be there some of you might be there. Now, the, the passage doesn't finish there. Listen to what he goes on to say. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. Paul says, I was there, but I don't know how, but God brought me through it. I made it. I came out. I don't know how, but I came out on the other side. And he will deliver us again. Paul says he, he has delivered me, and some of you know that by experience. You thought you were done. You thought it was, there was nothing left, but somehow God pulled you through. You're alive today. You've got vigor in your heart for life. And now Paul says, and he will future. He's got new confidence. He says, I'm not, I'm not so afraid anymore of what life dishes because I know that the same one that delivered me in the past, he will deliver me again. And on him we have set our hope that he will, what does it say? Continue to deliver us. I live this. I live this. I don't have any confidence in myself. But man, I have such confidence in God. I, I'm not nearly as afraid of things, of life, of damage. 
And so you say, but Randy, does that mean we just live careless? No, God gave you a brain. We're supposed to live wisely. But it's saying that when we can't get out of the way, when, when, when the circumstances just run over us before we had a chance to even see them coming, it was involuntary. And we get to the place that there's nothing left. It's because God wants us to learn some new secret, the secret of relying on him. And let me tell you what it feels like. It feels lousy. You, you just feel scared and desperate and broken down. And sometimes all you can mumble is, God, please, please, please. And he comes through. And he comes through again, and he comes through again, and he comes through again, and he comes through again. And you grow, you mature, your confidence in God develops. You become a different kind of a human being than what you were. You are not fearless, but you fear less, and you love more. And you have a greater capacity to give because you're not so afraid. You're not so afraid of the losses, of the hurts, of the wounds, of the disappointments. This is what he wants to do for each and every one of us. He wants to put us in his developmental plan in this life. And we have so much capacity for growth. So much, way beyond what we can imagine. Way beyond. But it calls for these two parts. These two parts of the plan we have to accept. Now, let me close with this. Which, which part do you think the Holy Spirit has emphasized to you today does he want you perhaps to focus more on the voluntary struggles meaning that man I really got to get serious about getting in the word of God and getting the word of God in me maybe I need to get in a group maybe I need to be more consistent with church maybe I need to start serving start giving whatever it is there's voluntary struggles and maybe the spirit of God has tapped you and said this is the year for you to develop by being more involved in voluntary struggles and then maybe some of us, he's tapped the other way. He's saying, you know how you've been reacting. You even, God's saying, you even shook your little fist in my face and said, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you doing this to me? I'm mad at you, God. I, I'm not going to talk to you anymore, God. Maybe we've even done that. And so the Spirit of God is saying it's, it's those involuntary struggles, those things that just hit you like a truck that you don't want, you don't like, but man, they are for your good. They will allow exponential development if you will be faithful and do the right thing in them and rely on God when there's nothing left in you. You'll be shocked at the way you come out of some of those things, the growth, the development. So which area? Which area maybe is the Spirit of God tapping on you today? And I, I just got to say this. There's probably some of us in here that you feel like, look, look man, I've burnt too many years, Randy. Uh, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm too old. I, I, there's too much behind me. I, I don't have time left to grow. Well, if you're under 120, <laughs> God doesn't see time like we do. If you open your heart today and say, God, I want to get on board. I, I, I want to live according to the way you designed me. I want to grow the way you want me to grow. He sees your heart. He sees your attitude. You're, you're always a child. You're always just a kid to him. He's eternal. And he will be thrilled just to see that attitude. And you will grow with whatever time you have left here. So I hope, I hope you'll seize this opportunity. We don't get opportunities to get much, much. This is why churches are so important. When churches are doing the right thing, they give us a, a period of sanity and clarity where we can make decisions 
that will impact our life in positive ways for the rest of our life. Life doesn't afford us many of those opportunities. It does, certainly does not encourage many of those opportunities. So while the Spirit of God has got your mind, got your heart, got your attention, oh man, I hope some of you will make some decisions that you'll look back on and you'll know, man, that was the day. That was the day that started it all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are... We are just so everlastingly grateful for you and this life that you offer us and these opportunities that you offer us again and again and again. And to think, to think, to think that someday we're going to be able to, to be just like you. We're going to love the way you love. We're going to live the way you live. We're going to feel what you feel. We're going to think what you think and be able to do what you do. Oh, God, what a, what a heaven that alone will be. May your kingdom come in new power into each of our hearts and lives as we embrace your developmental plan for this journey called life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.